0: We go faster! Yeah! It's Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester.
1: Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Ken Chester, and this is Roadworthy Drive. Happy 2018. I am glad that you made it through the holidays safely. Regular listeners know I cram a lot of information in each and every show. This one's no exception. Later on during this segment, I will introduce you to Hyundai's intelligent personal agent and the 2018 Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross during breaking news. That's right. Mitsubishi is back, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. Now, do you understand all the indicator and warning lights on your dashboard in front of you? Chances are you probably don't. I'll delve into the mysteries that reside in your dashboard during this hour as well. Now, for those of you that want to connect with me in the show, it's really easy. Call or text me on the Roadworthy Drive line that's 872-222-9793. That's good anytime, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If emails your thing, my address is ken at RoadworthyDrive.com. Either way connects you with me in the show, I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Roadworthy Drive is a team effort. As a result, we require the steady hands of the designated adult in studio and at the controls. That gentleman is my good friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer, Jack DeLeon. Hey, Jack. Hi, Ken. How are you? Not too bad. Um, Um, I had a meeting. I was going to ask you how that went. Was that the one with the suits? Yes, that was the one with the suits. Uh, I kind of thought so. Uh, We're good. We are? Okay. We're good. Uh, No problems for 2018? They, you know, nothing? Nope.
2: They just said keep doing what you're doing. Okay, that's good. So that's where we're at with that. Now, in breaking news, this one is bugging me to death. Go for it. Meet Hyundai's intelligent personal assistant. Why does Alexa seem to be sticking in my head?
1: Because it's not too far off, but here's the twist. Okay. The twist is this personal assistance is developed. Hyundai developed it with a Silicon Valley outfit called SoundHound, and it uses artificial intelligence. It's not just an assistant. It's going to be a predictive assistant. It's going to combine your ability to do driver convenience things, uh, adjusting the temperature to things like that. Eventually, they want it to be a car-to-home device where you will be able to, uh, through your vehicle, speak to the electric devices at your home. Now, this is not new. Ford and Alexa are going in the same direction. Correct. So, uh, but Hyundai's thing that that might be might strike people as a little disconcerting is that proactiveness predicting the driver's needs, and providing useful information. The way it's supposed to work is when activated, the system reacts to the driver's voice commands or questions by communicating with the SoundHound artificial intelligence server to search for the requested information or complete a task. The thing that bothers me there is you're in the cloud again, and you're only as good as your connection.
2: Well, none of that, too, but how secure is this going to be?
1: And that's another good issue, and they don't address that. Obviously... I would imagine that it would have to follow the protocol again that NHTSA set uh, over a year ago. Remember, we talked about the cybersecurity document that they issued in October 2016. They also mentioned that that document would continue to be an evolving or a living document, that it would continue to change. It wouldn't be static. In other words, it's not it's out once we're done with it, run with it, that they would expect to be revising it as conditions warrant.
2: As we talked about. In one of our last shows last year, mm-hmm. um, at what point is this becoming
1: big data? We're there. We're there. And that does, does that bug you? Um, I'm concerned to a point, but here's my concern. Um, it's like anything. No matter what the good intentions, it's not necessarily the good intentions of everybody doing what they're supposed to do. It's the temptation of others without good intentions to either hack it or manipulate the data, Um, much the same way somebody might uh, manipulate a file now to get an address to stalk somebody or something like that. Correct. That would be my concern, somebody with a vendetta who has access to certain information. Now, the issue with big data supposedly is that big data collects generic information, that it's not user-specific. Uh, Not supposed to be what we've got is we've got and not unusual that legislation trails technology always has probably always will partially because legislative activities are a uh, um, a deliberate process as it should be trying to consider everything and make a move as a result technology is more disruptive and it's going to continue to be that. Now they're talking about the twenty nineteen cars. Okay. Is what Hyundai's talking about. And now they said that the system will initially understand English, but will expand the support to other major languages going forward. And they don't expand they don't explain what another major language is.
2: I think that would be Chinese. Co- I think it could be German. Korean. Korean.
1: Given it's a Korean company.
2: Um, I also believe that they're going to have to come up with something for dialects, too.
1: Uh, Yeah, that could be real interesting in the United States. But here's the thing. Um, I don't have it with me, but I do remember reading something um, in the last day or so that said that uh, artificial voice has gotten to a point where literally the intonation is indistinguishable from a regular human. That you can't tell. Okay. Um, Being because we talk and we, you know, rise, fall, pronounce things a particular way. But, yeah, yeah, we're going there. Um, Really quick, Mitsubishi's back. Say what? Well, remember really quick, uh, Nissan and Renault, that combination, bought 30% of Mitsubishi, sent their people over there. Okay. Now, I'm going to be the first one to admit, without that help, I would written Mitsubishi off. Because yes, they, they had really kind of shrank and was only a fraction of their former self. But they're even the Eclipse nameplate is making a comeback as a compact utility vehicle. They're jumping fate first into the growing part of the market, what you call the urban uh, lifestyle vehicle that everybody is building. Chevy Trax, Ford EcoSport, Nissan Kicks, that kind of vehicle. The Eclipse Cross. And by the sounds of it, it sounds pretty advanced. And that's got Nissan's fingerprints all over it. Okay. So what they're talking about, new design direction for the interior, that they're going to make this available in 2018. And they're talking about a price, if I can find it really quick. I thought I saw a really reasonable price. It's going to be in four trim levels. It's going to start at 23295 And I can tell you that that is right in the heart of that market. They might have a winner here.
2: Did they say how much the most expensive one was?
1: Um, I'm, I didn't remember reading that but I I can tell you if they're if they're competitive just shy of 30.
2: Okay, it won't be over 30.
1: I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. So something to watch for in uh spring of 2018, the Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross, a compact sport utility vehicle. So I think that uh, they they may they may be on the path to getting back on the on the wagon.
2: Well, which which would be nice because you know, Mitsubishi is known for more than cars. They are. They make. They make uh, forklifts.
1: Yep. They make. Um, but I would argue Honda, Toyota, Hyundai, all the same. They all make all sorts of stuff. Yep. Honda makes even personal jets. So, um, when we come back, uh, hang on. You're early. I'm early. You're early. not according to mine. Uh
2: yes, you're early. Trust I'm me. early? Trust the producer.
1: The producer says I'm early.
2: The producer says you have two minutes. Two minutes? That's yep.
1: that's not what my thing says. Well,
2: we're gonna kick your thing down the hallway when we get done here. Uh,
1: well, okay then. Then we'll continue talking. Yes, we will. Uh because that's not what my timer said.
2: Okay, but here's here's a here's a question that I've got. Mm-hmm. And we covered this in the, kind of in the last show, but I want to ask it again. Mm-hmm. Um what would be the one big breaking news that we would have in 2018 concerning anything automotive?
1: My goodness. Uh, legislation.
2: You think the legislation can try to catch up?
1: I think that legislation can can help shape how quickly we adopt certain things. And okay. I, I think the spirit and the direction of the legislation will help the technology.
2: Okay. Now, here's my question. Mm-hmm. Since the federal government can't really play well together, um, do the states go in and start making their own rules?
1: That's what they're trying to do now, and that's the problem.
2: Okay. Explain,
1: please. Um, different states, different laws. It's really hard to apply cost-effectively technology when states require different things, reporting, security, things like that. Plus, Supreme Court's held up that uh, NHTSA, the e- National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, has the final word anyway.
2: Okay, so no matter what happens here, we're going to have to wait for NHTSA to catch up.
1: And that's why NHTSA put out guidelines in 2016 while they will continue to put out guidelines, which is not rulemaking, but it's an attempt to help the companies get to where they're going. So, so much for that. Um, Next, Back to the Future, it's going to be amazing. And after that, an honest talk about your owner's manual. Roadworthy Drive is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network.
0: This is Roadworthy Drive. This is Chrysler Plymouth's new styling center. And this is the new 1973 Plymouth Fury. Isn't it beautiful? And part of the beauty of it is the way they put the engine together. In a week's time, 15,000 V8s go through here, and they test every one of them with these. They're called engine function testers, and they have electronic sensors. Nobody else has them. These electronic gizmos find things wrong that people don't find, and they find them before they ever put the engine in the car. That's the kind of thing that makes the 73 Fury run better inside while it looks better outside. Isn't that the kind of car we've all been looking for? Plymouth Fury. Extra care in engineering. It makes a
1: difference. As they say, Mopar or no car? This is the second segment of Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Ken Chester. Yeah, part of what a talk show host is supposed to do is be able to tell time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll get that right one of these days. Yes, you will. Yeah. Regular listeners to the program know that I'm always sharing the latest developments and breakthroughs in the automotive technology field. Hardly a week goes by, it seems, without something revolutionary happening. But I want to share something with you that completely freaked me out. Consider this. And I want to read this. I'm going to read this and then I'm going to explain myself. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> um, the question is asked, what else is new? Something significant and coming soon for every car and onboard computer. It'll be small, about the size of a glove compartment. A computer to do what? Just about anything. You name it. It will monitor engine components, plugs, fuel injection, all others. It will control emissions and warn if the engine is polluting. In other ways, it will be revolutionary. Part of the time, the computer will think for drivers and correct mistakes, often before they realize they've made. One thing it will mastermind is century braking, brakes applied individually on every wheel so that a driver can never lose control by skidding. A radar auxiliary will warn if a car ahead is slowing or if you're following too close. In an emergency, the computer could decelerate, apply brakes automatically and become a computer's reactions. And because a computer's reactions are faster than human, they should be a lot less rear-end collisions. There will be means to lock onto automatic radar control lanes on freeways, which are on the way, with space satellite control traffic flow not far behind. And I continue reading. The in-car computer will modify most of our present instruments. For example, the gas gauge as we know it is on the way out. In its place will be an indicator showing how many miles of driving your fuel is good for at present speed. On a TV-type screen in front of the driver, route information and highway warning signs will appear, triggered by magnetic sensors in the road. Having a lookout for highway signs is already old-fashioned and dangerous. Often a driver misses them. When are inside the car, he won't. If you travel a route which is new, you'll slip in a cassette the way you do a tape cartridge for entertainment now. According to where you are and keyed in a similar way to road signs, you will receive spoken directions and visual signals on the screen. And almost at once, the ordinary car radio will have a transmitter as well as a receiver operating on a citizen's band. It'll be a nationwide system so that a driver can call for aid of any kind whenever. He needs it. I just read from a book written, a fictionalized um, attempt at the auto industry, written by uh, acclaimed author Arthur Haley, who also wrote Airport and Overload. The date of this book is 1971. Wow. That is crazy. And I'm going to go back over this in a minute because what he just explained, and bear in mind, I need to explain the reason why this is important. Arthur Haley's approach is he spends a year researching the industry, six months uh, compiling his notes and 18 months writing the book. Did I mention 1971? Yes, you did. This man just explained. People are talking about, oh, my goodness, all this breakthrough. I can't handle it. Um, He just explained engine computers 10 years before they came out. He explained traction control over 20 years before it came out. He explained... Um, GPS, 30 years before it came out. Um, Right now, on many vehicles that you can drive, you have um, vehicle uh, signs in the car in the dashboard. I can name at least four or five models. That's now, right now. Uh, Route information, highway signs, oh, yeah. And the uh, spoken directions that I mentioned on Star, over 20 years before it came out. Mm Mm-hmm. That's my point. The point is, this stuff was swirling in the auto industry in the late 1960s, early 1970s, years before it was practical, years before we had the means. A lot of this stuff has only recently appeared in the last 10 years. Some of it's 40 years old. 40 years. Wow. You know, like I said, we spend a lot of time talking about what's coming. But what people don't realize uh is what people have been thinking about, and that actually the future is now. The future, you know, we, we kid, we talk about the Jetsons and we say, where's our flying cars? There are flying cars. Um Volvo's parent just bought a flying car company in Massachusetts that's been building them since twenty twelve. Um other things going on, this is happening. And it's just amazing to me that vehicles have finally started to catch up with what people have been dreaming about in the last 10 years. And I'll lay this bombshell out for you. Um, I saw a magazine, a Car Buff magazine, 1958, the year I was born, that actually had a trunk full of electrical mechanical devices for a self-driving car. Yep. It The car was a 1958 Chevy Uh, Impala trunk full. And back then it was electrical mechanical. So it was heavy, slow, but people have been dreaming about this for some time. This is not new. And when I read this and I saw and and my mind started working, it blew my mind.
2: The thing is, when you were reading that passage out of that book, Mm -hmm. I thought it was written today.
1: (laughs) That's my point. That's exactly my point. It was written 46 years ago.
2: You know, and I look at all the technology in my truck
1: now, Mm-hmm.
2: and I'm still, you know, a month into this, I am still trying to learn it.
1: You realize that in your truck, in the computers, plural, in your truck, mm-hmm. there's over 150 million lines of code. Wow. And an F-150. Wow. That is a given. That is the truth. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the future, Mr. Jack.
2: Well, we're at the future right now. Because like I said, I'm still trying to I'm still trying to learn it, and I know that there are elderly people that I know that are having a heck of a time with um this because my my stepdad and my mom-in-law mm. just bought a brand new
1: Chevy Equinox. Oh my. And they're having trouble learning it. Trust me, this is just going to get more involved. Next I'm going to have a person to person talk about your car's owner's manual. And then after that, warning lights, indicator lights, why you should care. This is Roadworthy Drive.
0: You're listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network.
1: If you're just joining us, this is segment three of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Now, for those of you who want or need more than your share of the road, check out our new and improved website, www.roadworthydrive.com. Find audio clips of past shows, videos of our behind the scenes, in-studio antics, and more. The website is also a great place to learn more about the team who brings you Roadworthy Drive each week, as well as finding out where we are in the world of social media. You can even subscribe to our YouTube channel. Sasha is our social media diva who keeps things light, lively, and interesting with tech news and interesting tidbits between shows during the week. See how Sasha keeps the social in our social media. Okay, the moment of truth. Assuming you own a vehicle of some sort, let me ask you, and Jack, I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. Have you ever read or glanced at the owner's manual? In the last 20 years, no. Okay. What about the truck you just got?
2: I have not even looked at it yet. However, the other day when you and I were talking, I went and looked at the little packet that came with
1: the truck. Mm-hmm.
2: And you were right.
1: hmm A little like, overwhelming, wasn't there's it?
2: There's a little like eight or nine
1: booklets in there. Yeah. Besides, besides the big
2: owner's uh-huh. manual.
1: Well, let's let's talk about this. Okay. Um, typically, people don't realize the maintenance schedules are in that uh, piece of information. Mm-hmm. They don't know where the fuses are. Nope. And here's another thing. Do you know what to do if you see a particular indicator light that may stay lit that normally doesn't?
2: The only one I've ever seen in the last few years, and I've seen it on two different vehicles, is the uh, check the tire light. Ah. Did you know what to do? Yeah. Go go to the dealer and go, excuse me, what's wrong here? <laughs> or Or throw air in it. <laughs> usually it's the throw air in it yes it is uh-huh but and however this time of year it's on in a lot of cars where we live
1: and do you know why it's cold yeah but what does that cause it causes
2: the tire inflation to go down
1: Hmm. but here's another thing do you realize for example that putting air in the tires and bringing them up to proper pressure will not automatically turn the light out no, that that I did not know. That for some vehicles you actually have to drive for a while above a certain speed. No, I for them no to idea. go out. No. Yeah, exactly my point. Let me talk to you about it for a minute. Um, had a vehicle, and uh, I will get into, and it will become more evident in the, in my last segment where I'm going with this. Okay. But I got to curious. Um, so I pulled out. The big kit that now passes for an owner's manual. Now, I remember the days when an owner's manual was a slim publication that probably didn't run 100 pages.
2: Well, there was that, and you may have a little thing for the tires. Sometimes. Sometimes, depending upon the model of car that Mm -hmm. you bought at the time.
1: Mm -hmm. The vehicle that I was driving, because, of course, regular listeners know that I get vehicles to review every week. Yep. And... Normally, don't have problems with them. This one was different. So I pulled out the packet. Here's what I found. A quick reference guide. That was 24 pages. Mm A what they call in-touch owner's manual, which covered the navigation system, the entertainment system, uh, apps, and services. 287 pages. Haven't gotten to the owner's manual yet. Warranty information booklet. 60 pages that I could see now. Customer care and lemon law info, which is required. 130 pages. Two owner's manual supplements, a satellite radio booklet, and a 25 page towing guide. And of course, the owner's manual. The owner's manual, how big do you think that it was? If I had to guess, probably four or five hundred pages. 500. 32 pages. Wow. Bet you don't know where uh, the instrument and control information is. In the owner's manual. In chapter two of the owner's manual. Um, And actually in this owner's manual, Mm -hmm. pages 99 to 123. The first chapter took that many pages? That wasn't the first chapter. I know. It's the second chapter. I know. That's why I'm
2: saying the first chapter took that many pages. Yes, sir. Before you got to got to the the warning light
1: indicators. Yes, sir. And that, sir, is the tip of the iceberg. But here's the thing. We've again, we've talked technology, and a lot of times these vehicles are flawless. But what makes me nervous is typically your typical vehicle today um, manufactured by. Pick a manufacturer. Anybody um, actually comprised of roughly fifteen thousand parts um, is provided parts and subassemblies by upwards of two to three thousand different vendors. Is put together roughly in one day. Is an expected usually to last about ten years flawlessly. In extreme heat, extreme cold, rain, heat, uh, moisture doesn't matter. Supposed to run flawless. Most of these have a corrosion rust through warranty, a mm-hmm. hundred thousand, anywhere from 60 to a hundred thousand mile powertrain warranty, and a roadside assistance warranty. Most vehicles and a vehicle it takes one day to build.
2: Okay, now you and I had this conversation earlier. Mm-hmm. Tell me again what happened. When you turned the key on and you saw a light and it was doing something you've never seen it do.
1: Well, I'm going to hold that because that is the whole purpose of my of the last oh, segment. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I've got the last segment. You see all these pages here. Helps if you read the script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Note <laughs> note to executive producer. Read the script. Pre-production meetings are mandatory. Uh, I was sitting here. You didn't do one this time. <laughs> you just said, "Let's go." <laughs> There you go, folks. What can you do? Uh, Okay, Okay. so
2: we've got a whole bunch of what I'm going to call new indicator lights on a dashboard.
1: That is being polite. Some are warning lights. Yep. Some are indicators. Some uh, stay on. Some blink. Um, The question is, do you know what you're looking at? Um, My experience with the vehicle I just had uh, gave me revelation. Partially, and like I said, I'll talk about this next segment, mm-hmm. uh, was one light that stayed on. And while I'm driving, another light that blinked. I actually had to look it up. I didn't know what the indicator, what the little uh, images meant. I had no idea. No idea what it told me. I didn't know if I needed to be concerned or not. Because they didn't stay on. They would flash and they'd go out. I'm like, oh. Okay, Okay. now I've seen that with the tire pressure light. This was not a tire pressure light. Okay. And that's my whole point, that there's so much in our vehicles today that we really are not aware when there's a problem and when we need to be aware that there's a problem.
2: How often are the dealers when they... Now, I'm going to throw this out here real fast because I know we're running out of time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, dealer here
1: has people that deliver the car to you, and he's playing all this stuff. Yeah, but let's be honest for a minute. Okay, so maybe they do. Are you going to remember all that? No. Exactly. For the final segment, warning lights, indicator lights. You are riding shotgun with Ken and Roadworthy Drive. <laughs>
0: This is Roadworthy Drive.
1: This is the last segment of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Ken Chester. Warning lights, indicator lights, heck, reading lights in your vehicle. Do you know what they mean? Do you have any idea when you should be concerned? I decided to ask these questions of you because of recent experience I had with one of the vehicles I get to review. Now, the luxury SUV had less than a 1,000 miles on it when when I got it. And I get them every Thursday. I get vehicles to review every Thursday. Regular listeners know that as an automotive journalist, which I still write vehicle reviews, mm-hmm. I get vehicles to review from the automakers once a week. Yep. I can get anywhere from one to four. I've had four at one time.
2: Wow, that means not late,
1: not lately, but I've had it. Yep. Now, it's also possible that a lot of times in the press pools that are made available to us. Uh, we will get pre-production vehicles. That means that they're mostly ready, but they may have a few quirks. So when that happens, we'll usually try to drive another one if we find a quirk just to make sure it wasn't part of the pre-production issue.
2: And you're also told ahead of time about this? Mm,
1: Not always. Oh, okay. But we know better. I mean, I can give examples in the past where there was a – A problem with the vehicle. Mm -hmm. I didn't write about it because I didn't know if it was that specific vehicle. Because let's be honest, journalists are not the most gentle people reviewing these things. Okay. And they can, uh, yeah, be kind of abusive. But this one, I'm probably one of the first people to drive it. So, okay. So later that day, a light came on. Um, Old timers would call it a check engine light, but no, no, the proper term. Now is a malfunction indicator light. Bet you didn't know that either. Really? Yeah, that's what they call. It came on, it stayed lit. Now here's my problem. At that time it was the start of the Christmas weekend. I had planned to drive roughly around trip about five hundred miles to see family over the next few days. I knew there were no dealers of that make between where I was going and here. And even if they were It'd probably be closed. It was over a weekend and a holiday weekend at that. So I decided not to chance it because I wasn't really sure what was going on. I didn't want to take the chance because it is an unusual event to get an indicator light on something that new. Correct. So I'm like, yeah, let's not take the chance. And I took it to the dealer. Guess what I learned? What did you learn, Mr. Chester? Um, first, inadvertently taught the dealer something. Really? Yeah. Now, the first thing the dealer did when I got there is something that probably at some point, and I bet you many people don't realize. First of all, do you realize that not having your gas cap on tight enough would trigger the malfunction indicator light? Yes,
2: I've had it happen to me many
1: times. First thing he checked. Yep. That wasn't it. Okay. So I'm sitting in a waiting room. It's probably maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. And he comes out. He says, here's what we learned. We found out that uh, there's an arrangement on this vehicle we haven't seen before. An arrangement, type of construction. He explained, and th- it's a part that's on every car now. It's called a camshaft sensor. Okay, no big deal. Okay, but there's also an oil uh, oil temperature sensor at the bottom of the oil pan. What they found out. There was also a temperature sensor now in that camshaft sensor. And what triggered my malfunction? The temperatures didn't match. The sensors gave it two different readings. Oh. Triggering the light. Now, the kicker, the manual doesn't even address anything like that. That would trigger that light.
2: I'm assuming they were on the phone with the manufacturer.
1: Nope. They... Checked it, cleared the fault, uh, checked everything, turned the thing off. Never happened again. And I drove probably about 500 miles. Not a problem. But that gave me a thought to said, okay. One thing he said that was interesting. He said to me, the light stays solid. You probably don't have a problem. However, if the light's blinking, you got a problem. I didn't realize they blinked. I didn't either. Till now. Wow. Now, understandably and in fairness, you know, every manufacturer is a little different. But it got me to wondering, and I said, you know what? What are all these indicator lights? You know, and, and I'm just going to read some of them in this vehicle. You've got an analog braking warning light. You've got a brake warning light. The brake warning light pretty straightforward. If you've got a problem in the brake system, light lights up. Analog brakes, you've got a problem where the analog braking won't work but your regular brakes should work. How about a charge warning light? Hadn't heard of that one. Where the vehicle won't charge. Or my personal favorite, because I saw this, I didn't even know what it meant. Uh, The front and the rear of two cars with something that looks like a crash indicator. Yep. I'm like, okay, this is blinking, and it goes on and off, and it blinks at inadvertent times. I didn't know what it was. You were too close to
2: somebody. No. No? I wasn't. What
1: was it? It is the forward emergency braking with pedestrian detection system warning light. Okay <laughs> exactly. Your personal favorite low pressure warning light, which is the tire and the right. exclamation point. Okay, here's one for you. This vehicle has something called a master warning light. <laughs> oh boy, a master warning light. I gotta find this one because I want to read it. I'm like, what the heck is that? With the ignition switch turned on position, the master warning light illuminates if any of the following are displayed on the vehicle information display: no key warning, low fuel warning, low washer fluid warning, parking brake release warning, door opening warning, loose fuel cap warning, check prior pressure warning. Yeah, a warning light for the warning light. Oh, yeah. Trust me. That makes sense. Not. <laughs> Let me throw this one at you. A power steering warning light. That one I could see. Really? Yep. Because? If you're low on power steering
2: fluid or, or if it's electronic, something in the electronics has gone wacky.
1: There you go. And most of these don't have fluid anymore because they're electronic to save, um if prove fuel economy, prove reliability. So they've gotten rid of the reservoir. The pump that's turned by the engine is gone. I have seen that one.
2: Okay, so I'm still old school.
1: Yeah, but we've got other ones. Um, Those are just the warning lights. Let's throw um, front fog light indicator light, which is green when your fog lights are on. Um, High beam assist indicator light, green if so equipped. Security indicator light for your security system. Here's one. Side light and headlight indicator light, which is green. Another one, slip indicator light. And these are just the warning ones. I haven't even gotten into the regular indicator ones. So, oh well. As usual, time passes faster than the information I want to share. Be sure to tune in next time when I do it all over again with the latest automotive information you need to know. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive team, thanks for listening. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester.
0: Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.